Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's safety talk. Without further ado, Nick is an industrial safety consultant specialist with the Ohio BWC. Nick provides consulting services for companies in Northeast Ohio related to both manufacturing and construction safety. Nick received his BS degree in business administration with a focus on project management from Columbia Southern University and completed his master of public administration from Columbia Southern University. Prior to working for the Ohio BWC, Nick worked as a safety inspector and trainer for Portage County government, providing safety and management training to various divisions. In his spare time, Nick is actively involved with his community projects, including redevelopment of his park and rec areas. Without further ado, here's Nick. All right. Thank you so much, Debbie. Welcome, everyone, and I appreciate you attending today's presentation on Finding Facts, Not Faults. A little background about myself. I've been uh, doing safety and health specifically for about eight years, uh, and I worked in safety and security for 11 years prior to that. So actually, I've spent about 19 years working specifically in investigative type work related to security and safety issues in both private and public sector. So, you know, looking for facts and in interviewing and finding those answers has been really a bedrock of what I've done since I graduated from high school. And really what we're looking at today is having an understanding that finding simple answers doesn't always mean we're going to have the best long-term results. In fact, finding faults instead of facts can lead to trust issues within inside your corporation, which can also have an impact on cultural growth. And don't get me wrong here. We ultimately want to find the root cause and develop an action plan. Um, and there may be corrective action out of that, depending on the finding. But it's about how we approach this is how we can improve safety after an injury within a company. So the first thing I want to start with is a basic definition to start us all off. And this definition is about what are causal factors. This is a really important piece um, for you to understand. And causal factors can be defined as an unplanned, unintended contributor to an incident that, if eliminated, would have either prevented the occurrence of the incident or reduced its severity or frequency. And so we're, we're looking at uh, a situation that has occurred and we're looking at how can we have prevented that from ever happening or how can we reduce the result of that incident? And it doesn't always have to be an injury. This could be also apply easily to near miss situations with inside your company. And the reason we start off really with this definition of causal factors is because this is where we need to focus our investigations. We're focusing our investigation around causal factors, gathering information to help support what those causal factors are so that we can develop an action plan that ultimately will make the company safer and more profitable at the end of the day. So what are the causal factors? Uh, for me, I operate in, in, a, in, in my mind in this idea of buckets, and I have all these different buckets that I work with, and here are the five buckets of causal factors when I come into your organization and I'm investigating an injury that happened or I'm helping you investigate a rash of uh, near misses that are occurring and you're trying to figure out what's happening in your organization. Or maybe we're just looking to lower your experience modification to help save you money on the back end of your insurance premiums. 
we'll start to look at these injuries. And in fact, one of the programs I help companies build is their accident investigation policy and forms. And those are all directed right around these five causal factor buckets. Um, I have a worksheet that works with these that I will be sharing with uh, Mike that he can send out, which will be an attachment to the follow-up to this presentation so that you'll have a worksheet that you can actually use with your employees um, and your safety committees as you do your own investigations. So when we look at causal factors, they really fall into these five areas. And the first being, we're looking at the human factor. What was the employee's level of experience? You know, sometimes we have a brand new employee that has an injury. Maybe we have somebody that's a veteran employee. And we look at those two different uh, aspects because depending on their level of experience may have had a direct correlation to the accident itself. Also, what level of training have you provided for your employees? Have they attended the training? Are these, is this an employee who's missed training, not been involved with it? Um, what are the capabilities of the employee physically? Are they still able to do the job well? What does their health and fatigue look like? And what are stress factors? You know, in today's environment of COVID, we know fatigue and stress is a big issue. There's a lot of stress on individuals, which can lead to fatigue. That's a whole other presentation we could do one day, looking at how that impacts that. But those are questions and areas that we want to focus in on. Next, we look at the task that the employee was participating in. Was the setup of that done correct ergonomically? Maybe we have an ergonomics issue that led to this injury. What's the process and procedures look like? Were the process and procedures followed? And if they weren't, why are employees shortcutting those? We might find through our causal analysis that shortcuts are actually taken because what we assumed would work sitting in our cozy office drawing up those plans may not actually work for the employees on the floor. So they'll find a way, a workaround to it to make things more efficient and effective in their eyes. And this is a chance for us to gather that information. We also look at the tools and the safety devices that were provided for the employee. Did they work? Did they fail? If they failed, why did they fail? The next bucket that we spend some time on is looking at the materials themselves. What was the piece of equipment? Was the machine designed for the job? You know, oftentimes I go into facilities and, you know, let's, let's be honest, some of the oldest machinery that I've seen out there is still up and running and it works really well compared to some of the new stuff. The problem is the designs of it really weren't designed for safety. And so there's a greater potential for injury to occur with those. So we look at those. What does the machine look like? What is the, was our equipment failure? What led to that failure? And I'm going to walk you through this presentation. I'm looking at all these buckets in more depth because we're actually going to walk through a couple scenarios. Uh, what substances are they working with? You know, what chemicals were involved in the process? What was the employee exposed to? Next, we look at the environment, and the environment is, is the environment. It could be weather conditions if you're an outside worker, but inside, what are we working with? I've been in facilities that have had really poor lighting conditions that make it difficult, and it puts a lot of strain on the worker, which results in injuries sometimes, or it makes it hard for them to see, which resulted in the injury. And sometimes upgrading lighting can create a safer work environment, but it also becomes energy efficient. You know, we're always looking for ways that we can make the job safer, but we can also save your organization some money in the long run. You know, we just saw right now today, I was watching the Weather Channel this morning before I started work, it's going to be really hot and humid today. And then you add that into a factory and it gets really hot and humid. I remember when I first graduated from high school, I actually worked in a printing press for six months. My dad had worked there his entire career. So right out of high school, I said, I'm going to go work at the factory with my dad. I lasted about six months and said, I'm, I'm headed off to college, dad. I need the air conditioning. I can't do this. It was really hot. I remember we were reaching 110, 115 degrees in that press every day. It was just very hard. 
So that's a piece that we need to think about. The last bucket is probably the most difficult bucket for people to analyze and then accept. And that's where, how did management fail? How was management a direct result of this injury? You know, what was TOPS management support? What does your culture look like? Is it production over safety? Is that the message or the underlying message we're giving to employees? And if so, that could have been one of the causal factors that led to injury. What's the enforcement of your safety policies look like? It's great that we spend time developing these things, but do we actually go out and do we enforce those? Um, because sometimes silence is the same as saying it's okay. We look at supervision, how they respond to things, your knowledge of hazards, and we might find some areas of improvement there. So what we're doing with these causal factors is basically taking them and building this Venn diagram. And when you take a look at this, you have all these different buckets and they're contributing factors to how an employee got hurt or how a near miss actually occurred with inside your organization. And right at the center of this is where that accident occurs. So when all the stars align, like I like to say, you, know, you may have lots of near misses before the final injury happens, but what happens is all these contributing factors came together and created an environment that was ripe for injury. And at the center of this is the incident condition that took place. One of the problems that I identify when I go into organizations often is when you look at their accident investigation, at the end of it, the root cause or their final determination was, well, the employee needed more training or the employee wasn't paying attention. We really focus in right here on just this purple bubble of the human factor. So let's take a look at what happens when we remove the human factor. We still have four other areas that are ripe for an incident to occur, and it just takes a human mistake to make that incident occur again. And we're all human, and the human factor is, is a hard piece to, to control. Whereas if we went through and took time to really look at our causal factors, we could eliminate things from all of these bubbles, including material, our task, our management, and our environment. And that would help us to create a work environment that is really safer than it was before. So when we're doing our investigations, it's about finding the facts related to each of these. Not so much the faults in these areas, but what were the facts in each of these sections so that we can make some improvement. Now with that, the end result is what we call the root cause. Um, this is the incident condition. And our goal of our investigation will be to look at all of the causal factors and determine which one of these causal factors was the root cause. But this doesn't mean that we devalue the other findings. It doesn't mean that the other causal factors don't deserve some type of follow-up plan. Um, the root cause is the thing that was the final piece that made that injury happen. Let me give you an example. So you have an employee who has been assigned um, on, on, on a Friday a large quota that is due by the end of the shift for their best customer. Management comes out and says, hey, Johnny, uh, this piece needs to go out. I know this is a large quota, but it's due today. This is our best customer. We need to make him happy. During this work process, the customer actually, or the, the worker actually ends up putting his hand into the machine and he cuts his finger. That injury was a result of the employee making an error. There was a decision to error placing his hand inside the machine. But really, there was a lot of other pieces, the causal factors that led to this. You have the stress of the employee knowing that this is our best customer and they need this stuff. So we're pushing that quota max that they typically may not normally operate at. We have management's timeline 
how did we end up in a point that, that our best customer needed this much at the very last minute on a Friday? Um, what was the machine guarding look like? Was there a poor design to the, to the equipment? And were devices not working properly? So there's a lot of root cause to this and or a lot of causal factors to this. But ultimately, you know, the root cause was the stress that caused the employee to clear that jam quickly that led to the injury. But there's a lot of other pieces that we could evaluate and improve upon to create a stronger work environment in the future and not just focusing on um, that final root cause of, well, it was the employee's fault. They made a decision to error. So the difference between the root cause um, and the causal factors is that the root cause is the primary driver of the event. And causal factors are secondary drivers to the event. But once again, um, and I'll show this on a worksheet as we go through this presentation, we still develop both short-term and long-term action items for all of them. In fact, we try to look at all five buckets and develop short-term and long-term action items. And this may be cumbersome at first and may be a little overwhelming for a company because when you institute this at first, you're going to have a lot of problems in a lot of areas for improvement because you're looking at more than you don't really have in the past. However, the theory behind this is that is if we can fix short-term and long-term plans for all of these causal factors, we change the entire culture of your company. But not only that, we create an environment um, that reduces potential injuries in other areas. If it was we're not doing hazard assessments of our facility, that was the management failure, and we start doing that, we're going to find more um, areas of improvement and prevent those injuries from ever occurring. So this really takes your company to the next level of safety and helps ensure you have a really strong safety and health program. Part of this is called the five whys. Um, just a quick history lesson on this. This was originally developed um, by Sakachi Toyota. Um, and it was later used in the, in uh, Toyota during the evolution of manufacturing. The five Y theory is really what evolutionized their manufacturing at the Honda plant or at the Toyota plant and resulted in, in their efficiency. In fact, it's been so efficient, the five Y theory, that is the technique used for many of you that work in lean manufacturing, Six Sigma and Kaizen events. The five Y's is, is really a bedrock of a lot of that. So what does that look like? The key concept between about five whys, and this is how we get to causal factors, is that it takes five whys to get to the root cause. You should ask why five times before you get to the really core concept of what drove the injury in the workplace. Now, that's a theory. Sometimes it's one why, sometimes it's eight, eight whys, but on average, it's five whys is what we're looking for. And that will help us find kind of the root cause of, and these causal factors in your workplace. So let me give you an example of how we work with five wise. And it's funny, I had written this um, probably, I don't know, about a month ago, this program. And then just last night, I went to uh, start my car and it would not start. So this actually worked for me. Um, so I just went through this process myself last night. So the problem that I had was my car, it wouldn't start. I tried, and I tried, and nothing. So why will my car not start? Well, I've determined that my battery was dead, okay? So the car didn't start because the battery was dead. But that posed another question for me. Why is my battery dead? Did I leave the lights on? Did, I, did, I, did something go wrong with the car? Well, when I asked that why and look into it, I found out that the alternator was not working in the car. Okay, well, why was the alternator not working? All right, we know the car won't start. We know it's battery, but we also know the battery is related to the alternator. 
Well, the alternator wasn't working because there was a broken belt. Okay. So why was the belt broken? I could ask that's a good question, right? Well, the alternator belt was broken because it was beyond its useful service life and was never replaced. So we know this part had a service life to it, and we should have done a repair to it, but we chose not to. And this could be the same with a piece of equipment. Well, why did we never replace this? Well, the root cause was the car was not maintained according to the recommended service schedule, and the root cause of that could have been maybe it was money-related, maybe it was understaffing of maintenance or the garage that you work with, but we continue to ask that why till we got to that root cause of why was why the car did not start. Yeah, the battery could have been the simple answer. I could have just went and bought a new battery. Uh, maybe it would have got me down the road a little ways, but not very far. When we ask why after why after why, we come to the real root cause of the problem. And now by fixing the alternator belt and getting the car back onto a better service schedule, I can prevent this problem and other maintenance-related problems to that vehicle in the future. And we do the same thing when we're looking at safety and health issues with inside your organization. So to start the, the causal factor process, there's really some pieces you need. You need to assemble a good team to work with. Um, and the first piece of that is going to be your facilitator. The facilitator could be the safety director. It could be your HR manager. It could be a VP. It could be a production manager. It could be whoever is going to facilitate this. But whoever your facilitator is needs to understand a couple pieces. First, the facilitator needs to be well-versed in, in an understanding of the five whys and how it works so that you can walk your group through this exercise. They also have a good understanding of the causal factors so that we can direct people and help keep them on track where they want to go. Because the word facilitate really means to make easy, to ease a process. And that's what the facilitator is there for. They're not there um, to guide to what they, what they suspect is the final answer. In fact, they really need to be objective and neutral and have a neutral stance on what is taking place in the investigation. They're there just there to help facilitate and guide the group down the road to get the facts that we need so that we can make a decision. Once we have this facilitator that has this ability to lead, lead people and really um, encourage conversation, we then want to take a look at our safety committee. And your company may, may, not, may not be large enough for a safety committee. Maybe you just have some people in the office. But there's a committee you're going to be together, bring together. Um, if you have a safety committee, I always recommend them because they should have a good representation from across your facility. And it's always nice to have people from different areas looking at a problem because shipping may ask why manufacturing does something a certain way. Accounting may ask because they're in the office all day. They're not on the floor. Why would you do that? It's an outsider's perspective. And there's really no wrong answer. No, no, you know, people often will say, oh, I, have, I don't know, I have a stupid question. There's no stupid question because those are the things that cause us to think outside the box and look at those causal factors. You know, if you bring in people that only work in that area, they see it every day. They do it every day. You know, it's just like when I walk a facility with you, I see things that you walk by every day because you become numb to your environment. So bringing somebody else in definitely helps with that, somebody from within your organization. You also want to make them familiar with the process, you know, how things are done, uh, bring them in and let them really help you learn why the process is done that way. Let them kind of explain what it is. Uh, it doesn't always have to be the injured worker or the person involved in your mess. It could just be somebody from that division. Uh, and that brings together a really good team 
that can help you work through this, this process. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work through one of these causal factor exercises because I want to leave time at the end for you to ask some questions too. If you can, what we want to, what you want to do is you really want to observe this problem in action. If you can get out and see where the work area was so you have a better understanding of what it was. Um, today's technology, we can easily record something with a phone and bring it back to the office and play it for everybody on the computer. And you really want to discuss this with the employees to understand what the normal process would look like. So the example I'm going to give you today is that we have an employee that twisted their knee while exiting a truck. So the problem that we have, that we define the problem as this employee was, was, at a, was at a stop to make a delivery. While exiting the vehicle, they twisted their knee and ended up with an injury. Well, now we're going to start to ask the whys and see how the five whys are going to get us to our causal factors. Well, why did the employee twist his knee? I think that's a fair question. What happened? What happened in the workplace? How did, the, how did we end up with this injury? Okay, so what we want to do is when we find the answer to that, we find that he slipped off the step. Well, we need to ask why a few more times. Okay, he slipped, but why did he slip? What was happening? So the question comes up, why did he slip? Well, we get three different answers to why he slipped. First, the step was covered in snow. It was wintertime, so it was slick outside. The driver wasn't wearing proper footwear. In fact, he was wearing tennis shoes instead of work boots. And the driver wasn't using three points of contact. Oh, well, now we kind of come to this crossroads, and I'm going to show this in a separate slide in a minute. But now we, we're starting to find some causal factors there. In fact, can you identify some of those areas initially? Give you a minute to think about it. Well, if the area is covered in snow, that's one of our environmental factors. The driver wasn't using three points of contact. Well, what could that have been from? Is that a training issue? Was there not three points of contact on the truck that he could utilize? They weren't wearing proper footwear. Why? So we have to ask that question, and let's just run with the question was, why was the employee not wearing proper footwear? Well, he's a new employee. Well, there's another causal factor, right? We have time on the job. He hadn't purchased work boots yet. Well. You know, your work, you would expect your employees to purchase the right things, right? So I'm going to ask the question, well, why did you not purchase the right work boots for your workplace, right? Well, we find out that we have a company policy that does not allow on reimbursement until after the first 30-day assessment. If I know I'm going to get reimbursed 100 bucks for my boots, am I going to spend that money now or am I going to try to fly under the radar for 30 days? Because uh, let's say if he's an entry-level worker, he's making $10, $12 an hour, those $100 boots and $100 reimbursement is a big piece for him. So the policy wasn't allowing him to get the things that he needed. And so as you can see, just by asking these whys, we start to find a lot of different areas that led to it. Well, we could have simply just said, well, the employee slipped off the truck. He wasn't paying attention. We need to retrain him on how to, how to get in and out of the truck properly. End of story. We missed so many other opportunities. And so this kind of just shows you a different way of looking at this. And often what I recommend you do as an organization is, is as you're going through these five whys, um, if you can do it in person, that's great. If not, you can even Zoom. Um, any of the media platforms now have this ability where you can start writing on the whiteboard or um, what I do is sticky notes. I love sticky notes. I probably should invest in their stock that take those with me to customer visits. And I'll start sticking them all over your wall. And we'll work through this and see what that flow chart looks like to find the problem. So as you can see here, um, we can see multiple, uh, a different angle of, of doing the same question, right? And so we're finding two different causal factors here, all right? We find a causal factor of not using three points of contact. Well, why was he not using three points of contact? 
Well, he was late to the drop-off. He's trying to get inside because he was missing his deadline. Um, in the trucking industry, that's one of the things is sometimes you have to meet a time deadline. Well, he's trying to get in to check in on time, and he was late to that. So instead of taking his time getting out of the truck, he just hopped out and made a run for it and resulted in an injury. Um, same thing here. We talked about causal factor number two. The company policy doesn't allow that. Maybe that's a management failure. Maybe there's an area in which the company or management was not able to made a failure. Maybe it's something that we need to look at and change. So I took this whole scenario that I put together for you and I broke it down into this Venn diagram. And so if we took out just that purple box again and say, well, he's a new driver. He wasn't, didn't have a lot of experience. He didn't know what he was doing. That's why he got hurt. We're going to retrain him. We still have the problem with the next new hire because he's going to have the shoe policy issue and he may not purchase the right work boots. We still have the task, the three point of contact. We need to, you know, make sure that's reiterated and that's, that's looked at. We identified that maybe the reason the stairs were slippery is because truck maintenance wasn't done. And, and a lot of times you'll see on those trucks that there's like this diamond plating or this grittiness to it so that when you're getting on and off, it creates some traction in and out of those trailers, uh, semi trucks. Maybe that, maybe that was missing. Maybe it was impacted with the weather, whatever it is, but there was defect in the material of that stair itself too. And we also know that the environment really played into it. You know, we live here in Ohio. I know no one really wants to talk about this now because it's nice and sunny, but snow's just right around the corner. It is August. Uh, before you know, it, it's going to be snowing here. So, you know, that's another piece that we need to look at. And so we start to look at all those different pieces in the Venn diagram. Instead of just focusing on the person, we start to focus in on all the different areas of how we can make the job safer for our employees. With this process, one of the most important things with five whys is you have to know when it's time to stop, you know, when you've revealed the root cause. And how do you know when that exists? Well, first of all, you're no longer getting useful responses or you've hit a brick wall and there's no more why questions to ask. We can overanalyze things. So you want to make sure that the responses are useful and something that you can work with. Or like I said, you've hit that brick wall and there's just no other, nowhere else to go with the whys. So what happens, right? We have, we've identified all of these causal factors in these five different buckets. What do we do with those? I always encourage companies, um, especially when you're training your leads on how to start this investigation, part of your investigation form should be immediate short-term actions. If Johnny was walking through the floor, walking through the shop floor and slipped on a puddle of water, in that report should be immediate action placed up wet floor sign and mopped up the floor because we're documenting what we're doing. We don't want to wait one day or seven to 14 days for this committee to get together and start to look at actions because now we have this huge window where that exact same incident can happen. So we just want an immediate response to what was that low hanging fruit that we can deal with. Then we start our investigation and each one of those causal factor buckets should have both short-term and long-term solutions. And sometimes it will only have a short term because that's what fix it, fixes it right away, or it's a long term that we can implement pretty quickly. Other times we might find, for example, like I talked about before, I walk into those shops and they have that equipment. Um, I have one shop I work with. They still have machinery they're using from World War II. The equipment's great. It operates. It produces the product they need. But let me tell you, items used from World War II, safety guarding on the front of those presses did not exist. So we may have to go back and retrofit. Retrofitting those devices can be very costly. And I think you might have, you know, a, a pretty, uh, pretty hard uphill battle to go back to the vice president 
or your division manager and say, yeah, we determine what the problem is. We need to spend $100,000 tomorrow. It's probably not going to happen, right? So we find these short-term fixes and put the long-term goals out there and we start working to it. We also want to come up with realistic solutions. And this is why the committee and the people looking at this should include people both in upper and lower management and frontline workers. Because like I said, I can sit here in my cozy office every day and come up with some really great solutions, but they're not workable for the employees and they're going to find a workaround. They also have to be sustainable. <clears throat> As we talk about these solutions um, and these countermeasures, how do we sustain this? It's not something that we just do today. It's the flavor of the month and it goes away. That, that doesn't do anything but harm your environment, actually. From a culture standpoint, when we do flavor of the month things, the employees see us excited about it. And the first time you do it, it's great. Second time you do it and it goes away, and we're starting to see a pattern here. By about the third or fourth time, employees go, hey, it's just flavor of the month. We don't care about it. So the goddesses be sustainable and last a long time. And most importantly, you have to get senior management support of these ideas. So here's how we looked at this. So let's, let's take a look again at these employees that twisted their knee. We know the causal factor one is going to lead to a countermeasure, all right? The driver wasn't using three points of contact. Just like we know he wasn't wearing proper footwear, this is going to lead to a, to a countermeasure. This is the worksheet I was talking about. I have this in Excel form. I'll send it out to Mike for everyone. And I didn't complete the entire document, but this is because typically this is an exercise I would have your employees work on uh, during the training. But it's the now what action plan. So we know that the truck PM, preventative maintenance, did not address stair tread degradation resulting in employee slip or trip or fall. So our short-term fix for that is we're going to install a new stair tread on truck number 211 today. We're going to get that done. That's simple. But how do we prevent this? And how do we create an environment where it never happens again? Well, we're going to add those tread inspections to our daily truck inspection sheet. The truckers already have to do a daily walk around of that. It's just an additional piece that we have them look at to make sure that. And it may also, another long-term may be, that's part of the 30-day uh, vehicle checks by the maintenance crew. It may be part of when it comes in for maintenance. It's something that we sign off on. We also know weather conditions contributed to his late delivery, resulting in the employee slip, trip, and fall. So the weather's really bad, and it's important to note that sometimes these deadlines exist. So how do we prevent this from happening in the future? Well, maybe the delivery schedule needs to be reviewed based on weather conditions. Maybe my normal route gets reduced and we spread that workload because I'm going to be heading into an area that it just is more ripe for those weather conditions this day. And maybe a long-term fix is we start to identify things such as weather condition delays added into contracts. And we start to find ways to not to make it easier for the employees to reduce that potential. Lastly, we look at this piece with the, the uh, management process failure. Well, the shoe policy really was a contributing factor to this. So how do we do that? Well, short term, one of the options we can employ is we buy Yaks tracks, all right? I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're pretty cool. They slip over your boot and they have grippers on the bottom of them. Um, so that'll make it safer for employees in, the, in snowy and icy conditions. They can put them on and off when they're in the truck driving. They don't have to have them. Maybe we provide those yaks tracks to new employees until they get to that 30-day point, right? Or maybe the long-term fix to that is, so we give them yaks tracks today. Long-term, we go back to HR, and we propose changing the policy that it allows new employees to purchase shoes um, with a reimbursement plan. So on day one, you're given shoes, and we draw that out of your check over the first 30 days. And if you stay 30 days, then, then we give you the money back, whatever that may be. There's tons of options we can come up with. But we work with HR to truly find a long-term solution to this management process uh, to make the workplace safer. So 
now we put this whole plan together. We developed this, um, this piece of action plans for short and long term. What do we do with that? You know, what gets measured gets accomplished. I am a huge fan of tracking and dashboards. I really encourage most companies to develop um, dashboards, uh, multiple dashboards sometimes related to safety and health and having that on their safety board. So we can see at a quick glance what's going well, what's mediocre and what's failing us. And so employees see that too, because if you put your information out there so the employees can track you, hold you a little more accountable too. And it's a great way to get everybody involved. Not only does it hold you accountable, but now the employees start to have a stronger safety culture. Oh, you want us involved. You're willing to share the information with us. Safety must be that important to us. I also encourage, encourage check-ins, right? Temperature checks. Whenever I issue some type of uh, recommendations and work for people, I set timelines for check-ins. I call them temperature checks. I'm going to check in and check the temperature. You know, where are we at? How's this process going? Give me an update. And sometimes we set goals and we're not going to meet them, right? We might have this great plan and there's production delays or there's problem getting funding, whatever it is, it's okay. They're goals. Goals can be changed. But we need to be checking in and understanding why goals and timelines might get changed. So what gets measured gets accomplished. And that's a really important process of this. When we're finding those facts and fixing those pieces and not just looking for who we can get in trouble, we can really get this moving forward in the right way to prevent a lot of pieces. So I want to leave you with a couple tips and tricks before we get into the question and answer session today. You don't always have to ask five whys. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But remember the idea behind the five whys. If you've never really worked with that, there's some great articles out there and some great videos to give you some reps and practice with that. Um, it's a great business practice, not only in safety, but across your entire organization and a great tool to implement. When an employee, employee mistakes happen, we're not looking to assign blame. Okay. Instead, your goal should be to find out why. You need to be impartial. And sometimes that's hard. You know, sometimes our initial thing is let's figure out who, what he did wrong and, you know, let's, let's write him up for it. Well, instead, if you go in with an open mindset of I'm here to find facts, it's going to change your demeanor and how you interact with the employee. It's going to create a more comfortable work environment to gather more facts so that you can prevent more injuries in the long run. And really just being neutral is a big part of that. Information gathering at the time of the incident is crucial. Let me repeat that. Information gathering at the time of the incident is crucial for success. So many things get lost over a 24-hour, 36-hour, 48-hour period. So when something happens, that's when we need to respond to it. And so if we're running a 24-hour operation and HR is the person who handles your investigations right now, are they coming in in the middle of the night? Are they coming in on Saturday at 2 a.m.? Probably not. So training your supervisors in the investigative skills to gather the documents so that you can then have a root cause and causal factor examination is really important for your organization because the critical evidence is then a lot of people forget things as time goes on. So we have to make sure we respond quickly and gather as much data as we can at the time of the incident. We talked about the five whys, the worker slips, and this is kind of how we walk through that five why. I'm not going to go through that again, so we have some time for questions. Like I said, this is a, a very basic overview of that, but I wanted to focus in on causal factors itself so that it gives you something to start thinking about as an organization. Um, I actually teach a four-hour class on accident investigation where we actually do uh, more hands-on activities and practice scenarios related to your company and dig more into training your uh, employees or your supervisors to be investigators in that matter um, that we could always talk about after this meeting also. But with that, I am going to. Um, open it up to questions.
And while we do that, I'll throw up another screen here just so if you have questions, you can obviously uh, send an email to me or you can give me a call anytime. We'll put that information up for you. All right, Renee, do we have, uh, I know you were handling the moderator panel, so any information out there for me? Yeah, so um, we have a couple questions. Are the buckets that you talked about at the beginning, are those the things that you might come out and help identify on a walkthrough? And what does that look like? So when we do the walkthrough, <clears throat> we could, we'll talk about those, but typically a walkthrough, the best way to describe this without making anybody nervous is I call it a mock OSHA walkthrough. Now let me preface it that with, we're strictly consultative. I'm not OSHA. I don't have any enforcement ability. We're not here to do that. My goal, though, is to help you identify all your safety and health issues, give you a pretty extensive laundry list with the intention of coming back in a year and doing that walkthrough again and seeing how many went off, off the bucket, what new things arose, and continue working on that process and helping you become self-sufficient. But I do a lot of culture development, too, so that's kind of a separate meeting we would have where we'll start to look at those buckets in those areas and help you improve those areas of your company. One recommendation um, came from Aaron, and uh, it's a great thing. He said, when you do your five whys, um, go backwards and uh, and see if that ends up, you know, working. You know, if you do this this why, does it actually solve that? Or maybe there's uh, some other branches to those whys, kind of like what you were talking about. Yeah, this really can branch out and you always want to do a check of because some and that's why I say we have to be careful we don't get too far into the why. Sometimes we, we end up in this unnecessary why section and we fix this, but it never gets back to that initial question that we had. So, yeah, that's a great piece by Aaron. I appreciate you for uh, throwing that recommendation out there. Another question about the safety committee. Does it always need to be the same safety committee or if you don't have a committee, could it rotate or be different for each issue, include different decision makers? Maybe talk a, a little bit about safety committees. Yeah, so it, typically you want to have kind of a, a good team together because what happens is when you do this, you're going to have to train people on how to do this. You're going to invest a lot of time and money if you start rotating through the entire plant for every incident of retraining people of how this process works. And you really don't build a, a solid crew of camaraderie and understanding amongst each other. So when it comes to safety committees, here's what I recommend. When we get a committee going, my goal is to keep committee members on your committee for about a two-year stint. And here's why. Every six months, we reduce your, we, we change over your committee by 25%. So in, in a two-year period, we have a complete changeover. But at any changeover, you're still maintaining 75% of your core committee. So it makes for a nice rotation. We give them a two-year stint on that. Doesn't mean they can't come back later, but it gets them on there. But we're also selective in who we put it in there. You might have some really good decision makers or good outside-the-box thinkers, but they're also that person in your organization that people are afraid to stand up and speak in front of. We all kind of know who that is, right? They may be a great decision maker or the person who makes the final decision, but if you put him in the room or her in the room with a bunch of frontline workers, they're never going to speak up because there's just that uncomfortableness there. So it's about finding the right mix, and you could rotate them, but I really would recommend more of a core team that rotates on that 25% over a two-year period. And then uh, last question about tracking and measuring, I guess maybe more of a, a point, is uh, to focus it on the facts, not about finger pointing or who. Do you have some recommendations on, on what things to track so it doesn't end up finger pointing? Yeah, so what we're looking for is identifying those causal factors, and those causal factors really aren't employee-related. If it was the employee made a mistake and needs retrained, it's, it's really training for the entire company. We're not going to say, we're not going to put on that, on that sheet that Johnny needs to be retrained. We're going to say this division needs to have an updated training because if he or she made a mistake, 
there's a good chance other people are thinking the same way. So we're going to say we're going to retrain the packing division on uh, proper pallet loading, right? So we're not, we're never identifying a specific person. We're identifying the issues that exist, be it policy related, be it equipment related. And then we're setting the goals based upon that. We're not assigning it to a person. And that's why we say we're not looking for faults. You know, did somebody make a mistake? Of course, probably somebody did, but that's not, that's not going to change anything, right? And we know um, through research that we can, there's two different ways we can approach these scenarios. We can go out and say, you messed up, we're going to write you up for it, and it's going to fix their behavior Im- immediately. But then over time, they're going to resort back to it because it's kind of the stick approach to it. Where if I put a carrot out there and I coach you, sometimes change takes a little bit longer, but the long-term results of that is much, much bigger. And so when I look at safety and health for your company and help you, I'm playing the long game, not the short game. You know, we'll put some things in place to get people moving right away, but we're looking for long-term sustainable results. Um, so that's why we're looking more at the carrot, per se, in this analogy and uh, of how we look at finding facts and how we work at making those long-term changes. Good. And then one last question just came in. For companies who would like to implement this strategy, how important is management buy-in? Management buy-in is really big, um, and that's probably the biggest hurdle that I face, be it um, safety and health programs, my consulting that I do for you, or a program like this. So we really have to show them because it's all going to come down to numbers. I'm a safety health person by trade. You know, I don't want anybody to get, get hurt. There's no cost that you can put on safety in my eyes, but I'm also a businessman outside of this too. And so I understand, let's be, let's be honest and real here, dollars is what drives a lot of our decisions. So what we need to do is we need to be able to correlate those two together and how they work. Um, if you if you if you out there listening to this or finding that you're hitting those roadblocks, let me know um, because you and I can talk. Uh, we can start to look at your numbers and I can show you just from an insurance perspective how much you are paying and how much we could save you for this. I have some companies that I initially start working with them just not to go too far off on a tangent, but they have an EM of maybe 2.5. What does that mean? They're paying 250% more than their competitors for insurance right now. And we can really get you down to an EM of 0.5, meaning you're paying 50% less than your competitors. And those result from doing things like this, preventing injuries, because injuries follow you for five years on your workers' comp premiums. So we talk about that. We build together what I call a sales pitch. We bring in senior management at that point, get them for 30 minutes because time is money. I get it. And I'm going to pitch them in 30 minutes why this is going to help their bottom line. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.